listen, we're at the hour mark. So here's Sorry what I want to do. No, no, no. It's no, you we're I'm glad we're at the hour mark. <laughs> and I don't want you to go anywhere, but I want to like we'll keep going for people on Twitch. And by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a Twitch. Look for Sublation Media on Twitch because you'll be able to watch some of the stuff that's only for patrons as a live stream some of the time if you go to Twitch. Not all the time, it's inconsistent, but we're gonna keep going. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a Sublation Media podcast. All right, I'm here today with Jason Miles from the This Is Revolution podcast. He is also a member of the Sublation Media team. Uh, He is a lead singer of Bitter Lake. So he's uh, probably the coolest guy <laughs> that we have involved in Sublation because he's actually a rock and roll star. Um, heavy metal. Working class. Star. Working class. Working class, right, working class rock star. Um, and uh, I'm, we're going to talk today about his uh, upcoming essay in Sublation magazine. Um, the title that is on it now, just to give you a, a heads up, Jason, is uh, Welcome to the Terror Dome. But it's actually about... Um, the riots uh, in 92, the, what were at one time called the Rodney King riots, now the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about that. But before we do, I just want to plug that we're going to have a big launch event that you really organized in uh, June, June 26th. That's a Sunday in New York City at Brooklyn. the at Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah, in Brooklyn. Uh, uh, and it's uh, at Project Portal. Um, Norman Finkelstein is going to be there. Talk about his book. I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. We're going to have a whole bunch of other guests. People are, that's in the works. There's going to be, uh, you'll get to meet everybody who's part of the Sublation Media Everyone's team. coming out. So it's going to be Everyone. fun for all of us, too. Right. Pascal will be there. You'll be there. Gene will be there. Ashley Frawley will be there. Stefan Bertram Lee. I'm going to just keep naming names. Uh, uh, Alfie Bound will be there. Uh, John Bunch. If you've seen our channel, the guy with the hat and the gun, nah, he will yes. be there. Uh, did you tell Johnny can't bring his gun to the airport? He, I did mention that to him because he was like, uh, maybe I should do some target practice as a part of the launch. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, who, who, who am I forgetting on the on the list? Did you say Bajlan? Bajlan. Uh, oh, Oh, Deep Deep State Deep State Cuba will be there. And he will be reporting in to his uh, handlers <laughs> after. <laughs> so, so much intel. <laughs> that's right. So again, this is uh, at Project uh, Portal, June 26th in Brooklyn. We're going to be doing the Sublation Media launch uh, party and, and uh, panel discussion. You know, there's nothing that says party more than a panel discussion. 
So, <laughs> there's, there's going to be music there. There's going to be like live live art. We talked about that. So it's going to yeah. be a whole experience. It's not going to be uh, this. No, it will. It will be, be a, a whole bunch more. of stuff. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so, but you're now an uh, a magazine author for Sublation Magazine. And now we got one viewer, so I'm going to repeat what I said at the start, which is a year <laughs> piece. Welcome to the Terror Dome is coming out Welcome this to week. The Terror Dome. And it's about the 92 riots mm-hmm. um, and uh, in L.A., the L.A. riots. And I just I guess what I want to start with with you is uh, I'm going to ask you a question that may be sensitive, but we're only on Twitch. What 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 made you decide to write this? article you don't have to name names but there was a, something yeah yeah well i won't, I won't. It, it's 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 two it's two things a i i was pushed to do it and it pushed another thing i was working on out of the way i was actually working on a piece on the uh, second uh black exploitation era that's kind of been constant opposed to the first wave one um, that you get in the in the 70s mm-hmm. and I have been doing actually a, a fair amount of research on that, but I was also doing a fair amount of research on 92 and the riots because that is an important part of this second black exploitation era of film. Because mm-hmm. if you think about Boys in the Hood, which I believe comes out right before the riots, but after Rodney King, mm-hmm. um, there's kind of an explosion of, of all this cinema. So very similarly, after 65 and then the, the subsequent riots in 68 and 69 throughout the country, mm-hmm. um, you get the Kerner Commission report that Pascal always talks about where it's like, well, these Negroes need to see more <laughs> images of themselves on the screen. And you get Soul Train and the shows that follow. Let um, me wait. Let me ask you a question. Why did that what, – What in that report, why was that thought to be a way to stop or squelch the rioting? Did, did they just feel that – if the black community in America saw themselves on screen, they would feel more integrated and more a part of America. More, uh, yeah. I mean, if you think about, if you think about the 65 riots in Watts and juxtapose them to 92, mm-hmm. there was legitimate police repression that was extremely racialized. Mm-hmm. And you also have Reagan as governor in California. Mm-hmm. Um, post 65 i believe he he gets into the governor's office and one of his first things he wants to do is tear down all of these quote-unquote liberal reforms um which is uh welfare is a big thing and so he starts the whole um i I wouldn't say he starts but he's part of the whole welfare queen another thing we see pre-65 riots is the idea of black on black crime being the real problem in the community and not overzealous law enforcement and job opportunities. So even before the riots happened in 65, you have this massive influx of, uh, of uh, black Americans from the South because there is so many jobs. You also have, and no one likes to talk about this, a massive influx <laughs> of white people from the South and the Midwest as well, because there's jobs, you know, mm-hmm. and after 42, was it uh bill or order 8802 that says you know no more racist hiring practices um so you start to see a segregated but growing uh black middle class because Mm -hmm. of because of the job opportunity so of course you know people are flocking in but uh 
there's not job opportunities for all. Mm -hmm. So even in 65, the call is for, for more jobs. But when we think about 65 to 92, it's simply just a racial problem. And <sighs> there's this kind of explosion in, in, in watching. I don't know if you got a chance to, I sent you the video late last night, probably like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm sure you didn't get a chance to see it. No, I understand. Uh, um, but I, I made a, a video essay as well that hopefully will be accompanying the, the sublation piece when it goes up. Mm -hmm. But um, if you look at kind of all of the discourse around 92, it's simply racism. That's it. Mm -hmm. and even in, in doing the research for the article, and I, and I want to thank you for kind of pushing me to get even more quotes and things like that. I found mm -hmm. um, some, some really interesting uh, surveys that mm -hmm. the LA Times did on how the community felt about policing. A year before Rodney King's videotape comes out, and mind you, when that videotape is released, the next day, it's not even the front page of the LA Times. Mm. It isn't until a day later that CNN picks it up because they did so well with the Iraq coverage, but that was over like that, and they needed something to feed that machine and nothing mm. fed it better than the idea of racial grievance in Rodney King. So the song kind of changes in L.A. Because before that, it's these gangs are a problem and they're taking over our community. We need more help. Mm -hmm. And even the, the voices in the black community are saying, hey, <laughs> give these guys harsher sentences. Ishmael Reed, uh, famous black activist, bit of a nationalist. Um, actually wrote a, a, a response to, what's the big play, Hamilton, um, called black drug dealers, black fascists. Hmm. So the mood is crime is the problem, crack is the problem. Um, we need to get rid of these people and give them, give them harsher sentences. And this is even before we, three strikes even come, in, come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I mean, changed I, once once the Rodney King videotape, um, and it's yeah, all about police yeah. repression. Right. I mean, all throughout the '80s in the Reagan administration, the messages were about you know that's when the "Just Say No to Drugs" drugs campaign came up, and um, there was certainly a, 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 a lot of attention paid to the problem of crack cocaine um, and that particular drug that was thought to be just ruining the inner cities of America, all, uh, you know, the downtown areas of, of, of you know, put it that way. Because mm -hmm. um, inner city is racialized all of a sudden in that era mm -hmm. too, right? And, mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, you know, so it was a, it was an abstinence problem and a police problem. And they, it's like, we need more police. We need tougher sentencing and we need to, to provide a carrot and a stick basically, but there was no, actually, no, just the stick, because there's no carrot. <laughs> just, and beat the shit out of him with that stick. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, yeah, and then after Rodney King, there was a, definitely a, a major shift in the way people thought about it, and I, I uh, it was about racism, um, but it did, it did even creep in that there was an economic component to the racism in the country, like... <sighs> Like Clinton ran on that, you kind know? of. But Clinton also ran on Reagan era welfare reform. 
Right, but that was an economic fix to the problem. It was we need to encourage entrepreneurialism. We need to encourage jobs to come into these areas. We have to develop these areas. Well, that's um, that's the message of black nationalism. If you if you look at a movie like Boys in the Hood, right, mm-hmm. and one of the pivotal scenes in that movie where people are like, "Oh man, this is the wokest movie ever." You know, let's go back mm-hmm. in the wayback machine to 1991 when we watched it. And there's a scene where Larry Fishburne gets out of his car and walks over to a sign that says cash for homes. And he, and he gives this speech kind of for no reason whatsoever (laughs) about gentrification and Mm -hmm. saying that the solution to gentrification is more black owned businesses. That's all it is. It's, it's black capitalism. It's the same thing Nixon was talking about. In the 70s, mm-hmm. is that this is the solution to stop this this problem. And there's a magical they. And they are conditioning us to kill ourselves. So if you look at the discourse that was kind of happening, I don't even say kind of, that was happening around the trial and especially around the verdict, it's all about they. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why you see them ripping white people out of their cars. Right. Because it was the they. That was always coming up. And to some extent, if you look at the makeup of Los Angeles, which is is also an important factor in the 92 riots, it makes sense for what you see visually. You know, the the inner city is left to rot in L.A. because of the way it's constructed. So the outer cities are actually blossoming. And, mm-hmm. and blowing up. But there's also some problems with the outer cities that aren't really important for us to get into right now. But the the people that are left behind only look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And what replaces the factory jobs, you know, LA was the number two manufacturing sector in the country at one point in time. What replaces mm-hmm. these factory jobs now is the influx of cheap cocaine Hi, I'm going to interrupt this video to let you know about the Global Center for Advanced Studies upcoming symposium in Belfast. Um, This is happening on May 23rd through May 27th. It's happening in Belfast. Uh, And you can find out about the seminar and symposium on the GCAS website. So, uh, take a look at that. Um, there'll be a link to the symposium and to the GCAS website in the description of this video and in the uh, show notes for the podcast. Barry Taylor will be presenting the section entitled Radical Theology and the New Abnormal. And uh, Jameson Webster uh, will be presenting on psychoanalysis and the body. Uh, so take a look for that online at GCAS's website. That's GCAS, that's the Global Center for Advanced Studies, and uh, you'll find a link in the description. Is the influx of cheap cocaine from uh, from Mexico opposed to it coming from the other side of the country, coming up from, from Florida, and by the time it gets to you, it's been stepped on a bunch. So... We don't have to get into the economics of crack. <laughs> no, let's just, no, we should. We should do a whole segment here on the economics of crack. Um, but, but let's do that in just a minute because I, I have a, 
um, a question about gentrification and black capitalism. I mean, is is it entirely wrong to think that if you had more black owned businesses in these areas, that the there would be less uh, gentrification in the sense of that the the property values going up would meant displacing people. If you had black businesses, black owned businesses, mm-hmm. that they would theoretically hire local people, black people, and increase their wages, which would then uh, allow for them to afford to rent in an area which was, you know, going to be more expensive because of the development of the area. Is that, is that, is that the theory behind it anyway? Oh, you're saying, is that the theory? Yeah. Was that what the reasoning was? I think. Or did they see it just as like white people wanted to displace black people? I think gentrification is looked at as a racial issue, Mm -hmm. which is a problem. Even living in Oakland, the people moving in didn't all look like you. Some of them looked like me, and they definitely mm-hmm. weren't from where I was from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's that movie? Blind Spotting talks about it very, very, very little. They kind of mention it um, about how there's kind of a new crop of people coming into to Oakland that aren't necessarily from Oakland. And I definitely saw it there um, I'm not from New York, so it didn't hit me when I would go to Brooklyn on mm-hmm. tour and stuff. But at home, I was like, oh, okay. I, I don't think they think deep enough to go into the whole world and we're going to get black people to work these jobs, yada, yada, yada. Because if you look at an area like South Central, there was a lot of black businesses. Tons mm-hmm. of black businesses burned up in those riots. Mm-hmm. You know, in the video I clipped, there's a scene, and I just started bawling as I'm cutting the clip. It's this, uh, it's an older black man that had his store just destroyed and they took everything out of it. And he's yelling. He's like, why? He's like, I came from the ghetto like you. And I didn't, I wanted this store for you. Mm -hmm. And you did this to me. All right. So there's also a a lot of black flight that happens before the nineties as well. Anyone that can afford to leave uh, during this period of deindustrialization, um, is trying to get out because all the jobs are, you know, 60 miles out into the outlying suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there is a factory job that may be non-union, you're going to take it. You know, another thing that happens in Los Angeles uh, during this time is it becomes a healthcare crisis because as there is a growing sector of jobs in the private sector, there's also an influx of uh, undocumented labor that's coming in. Mm-hmm. That's also, you know, bringing down wages. So you're, you're talking about replacing all the jobs that were uh, union jobs with healthcare with non-healthcare and low wages. You also have to keep in mind there's welfare reform that says if you get offered a job, you got to take that job, even if it's less than what you get. Right. So, you know. Now you got cats taking jobs, making less than they would, and they can't afford health care because health care costs are starting to, to rise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, that's a private industry. So you have a crisis of health care as well. Mm-hmm. So if you live in South Central or the surrounding cities, you are facing a crunch like no other. And across the way from you, cats are balling. Mm-hmm. And it's not just white people. You know, there's black cats balling as well. There's there's Latino cats balling as well. 
So it's it's hard it's hard to look at it as, as strictly a racial issue because that's how people like to see it. Because I think it's just easier to talk about it that way as just the savagery of white people. Like slavery is just the savagery of white people. It's not a labor issue. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now, now let's talk about crack. How how capitalism. So uh, let's talk about how capitalism explains the crack cocaine epidemic. Let's do the economics of cap of, of crack. And we can clip this out and put it out. And like it will be for everybody who wants to like all the the uh, the, the, uh, the well what is it the the guy from Breaking Bad Walters of the world Walter White's all Walter White's of the world. Here's your lesson: you can break bad. <laughs> when when you when I watched and I watched hours and I read chapter and verse before I got on this show with you, I wanted to be somewhat prepared, and I read for the last hour and a half, two academic articles on Reagan and, and welfare reform. Mm-hmm. So I did my due diligence. Good job. Thank on, you. On, on the economy of crack. And also I know a little about a little bit about just that world. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the fact that you already have an existing gang population that uh, is grown out of a lot of the black nationalist organizations of that time. Um, but it's a derivative of what was left from those organizations. Hmm. So maybe in theory it's about community, but ultimately hmm. it's about getting yours. Hmm. Um, and like what kind of gangs are we talking about here? Crips and Bloods. Crips yeah. and Bloods, and then there's they came also, out of they came out of the Black Nationalist movement. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, gangs in L.A. historically come out of protection against white gangs, mm-hmm. um, and as those guys got older, then you get the next crop in. But there was also at the same time as those guys are getting older, you get the the Panthers coming in, mm-hmm. and just other you know Black Nationalist organizations that have some sort of um, Marxist background because that's just popular during the time. So you have mm-hmm. a, a bit of a materialist background in your mm-hmm. critique and your understanding. Once you eliminate that, those guys are either incarcerated, assassinated, drugged out. Mm-hmm. It's not looking good for them. You kind of get the leftover of that idea and they maybe didn't get the same level of political education that their predecessors got. That was so important mm-hmm. to be part of these edu- these organizations. You yeah. had to have a political education. There's a reason why Pascal presses so hard political education, even on me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a daily thing for even me that I have to do with him to to even try to do this show. It's it's extremely important, um, mm-hmm. but it's lost on this next generation. So mm-hmm. as they are violent kind of there's a bigger upsurge in violence in the early to mid 70s with latino gangs that gets calmed down or tamped down with just uh local support religious leaders community leaders getting in and helping out tamps it down right Mm -hmm. when you start to get 
an influx of cheap anything <laughs> mm -hmm. and you have a built-in distribution network, mm -hmm. a lot of money can be made. So as, this, as cocaine is coming up from South America now, straight to California, not coming all the way from, from Florida first, mm -hmm. and you have a, an open-air drug market, cops aren't around. That's another big reason why, you know, people always talk about the CIA's involvement in crack. Mm -hmm. I don't believe the CIA went into South Central and said, you know, come here, Laron, let me show you how to cook this up. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just, do they let cocaine flow in freely? Yes. So it's just cocaine flows in freely and already freebasing cocaine is a big deal. When Richard Pryor lights himself on fire, he's freebasing cocaine. There's celebrities that are freebasing cocaine, which is you know taking it from its powder form and cooking it down to a rock form, which is more potent. And it's less. That's expensive. crack, right? That's, that's crack. all the that's, that's all crack. crack is. Pretty much. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what you're doing, and also we got to remember that cocaine is an extremely popular party drug. In the 70s, it's on the front cover of Time magazine as mm -hmm. a wonder drug, but it's not accessible to a lot of the middle class and poor. What crack does is, A, <laughs> it makes cheap, potent cocaine accessible, first and foremost, and it's replacing the jobs that were there in the community beforehand mm -hmm. on a whole nother level. Because if you think about, let's just say we're just making up numbers here, mm -hmm. a $3,000, $5,000 you pay for a kilo of cocaine, you can rock that up. And that could be $50,000. Right. So a $5,000 investment, you're going to make that many times your money? And you already have a network of people that are going to distribute it to you. And you already have a captive audience. Mm -hmm. So with all this money that's being made, this also ramps up the time where recruitment becomes more and more serious for these, these gangs. Right. You know? So if, the, if you look at a movie like New Jack City, which shows you uh, the Wesley Snipes character, Nino Brown, turning a entire housing project into a kind of operational crack den. We had similar things in Oakland with a gentleman named Felix Mitchell, because we don't have, you know, the big towering high rises. Everything's a little further out, but he controlled, you know, sections <laughs> of, of East Oakland. And it was a massive operation because, again, you have a captive audience that's around the clock smoking. You don't have any police involvement whatsoever. It's very, it's very minuscule, if at all. Mm -hmm. and, and, and crack was much more intense than, yeah. than Coke was, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. um, I wonder, I just what came, came to mind as you were describing this to me is like, I wonder how it was that cocaine became such a big uh, product in the seventies. Like, I guess it's always been popular all the way, you know, for a long, it was popular for a long time, but um, I just remembering like, you know, John Belushi on Saturday night live would come out his nose covered in <laughs> white powder, like as a joke, you know? Uh, and uh, there are tons of Hollywood movies where you can just tell, 
everyone's coke to the gills they're making this piece of shit hollywood movie caddyshack um, yeah caddyshack is a good example yeah um so i wonder uh i just uh, you know we don't we can speculate i guess as to why it was that cocaine was the drug why why wasn't it if you if you um, if you go if you i don't know i mean if you ask certain people they they will go well once the colombians figured out what it was in peru and they build a network to florida they start just dumping tons of coke so in, supply in creates a demand mhm okay okay so it wasn't like something changed in the culture and now there was a need for this that there hadn't been before. I mean, I'm but sure more, someone's written on it that I, that I haven't read that yeah, yeah, to give yeah. me an idea. I'm just, I'm spitballing here. No, no, no. But that's, but that's important to know. Like there's an economic concept, like the supply can create the demand. And, and that's, and that's uh, what happened with cocaine and with crack cocaine. Oh, that's definitely what happened with crack cocaine, that the supply created the demand. And um, again, that's where the violence you know, comes from if, if they didn't have the ability, if the gangs didn't have the ability to do what they were doing in public to the level they were doing it in, I don't know if it blows up in LA the way it blows up in LA. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just one of those eye popping moments. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. And you have an interstate highway system here. That connects the entire city. Oh, geez, this is beautiful. <laughs> right, and and uh, and the cops look the other way. They don't do anything to stop the trafficking of of crack cocaine in the streets of L.A. Uh, that's what you mean by an open air market. Yeah, and and yes, it uh, does, right, right. And then the, you also, uh, and this leads to violence because uh, the 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 gangs are fighting over territory who gets to sell it where primarily um and uh and then what was the impact on like just using the crack i mean at the time it was like oh crack's gonna kill you it's the worst thing ever you know just say no to drugs that was a, but it it was wrecking people to to do that stuff wasn't it <sighs> yes and no I'll, I'll be very honest with your audience. Yeah. You watch a movie on TV and someone hits the pipe one time too many and they die. You live in the real world and you're like, man, you still been smoking crack? You've been smoking crack for like 35 years. <laughs> you need to get a crack pension. <laughs> and, okay. and the same thing can be said about meth. Um, hmm. I can't necessarily say the same thing about heroin, but I definitely have met some old junkies in my life. Um, yeah, heroin's dangerous because I, I knew a kid who did heroin when I was 23 years old. Uh, uh, I won't say his name, but um, he's gone. He's gone. I met him. He had he had kicked the habit. He was recovered. He went back home to New York, I think it was, to visit his friends, to visit his family, and huck started hanging out with his old friends did the same level of heroin he'd been doing before he recovered and it killed him and i think that's a, the danger with uh those something like heroin is that you the od and and you and especially if you stop for a while and then start up again. The, the harm the harm for the harm reduction you know people if if you I don't know how people look at harm reduction. I think people look at harm reduction as a solution and harm reduction is like triage. Harm reduction is literally saying, don't die. 
Right. You know, there's things about until I worked in that world, I didn't know, like there's different gauges of needles. Right. And you have to give people when you have a, a, a wet shelter or a wet environment, which means you can use drugs freely, different gauges of needles because there's different levels of addict. Right. You know, so if someone is has been off the stuff for a long time and they're used to using a certain gauge, you're, you're injecting way too much into your system, you know, you can go. So tell me about why is it that the cops like look the other way, let crack cocaine hit the streets, start, you know, creating, uh, you know, feeding the, the gangs financially and increasing the level of violence in, in L.A. And then suddenly, you know, they came down like a ton of bricks on the same populations. Like what what changed to change the attitude of the cops? I mean, we, we can't. We can't underplay the racial element to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't underplay the underclass element to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So after 65, you start to see more integration with cops of color. Mm-hmm. By 1990, almost half of the L.A. police force is minority. Uh, or about 40%. Is minor, and this is by nineteen ninety. So, so you mean like break it down to Latino, Asian, black? I think it was like twenty some, and almost yeah, high twenties of of Latino. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, L.A. in general is only eleven percent black, but the police force was thirteen percent black. Mm-hmm. So it's it's somewhat representative of of what the city looks like now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a bit of an underclass ideology um, that. If you live in this environment, then you are of this element and mm-hmm. you just don't care. That's why in my, in my video essay for this, I put a lot of cops shouting at people and talking to people as if like they're a problem and they just don't care. Like there's one uh, image I have where, or not images, a video I have of a guy that shot and the cop is just so matter of fact to this dude and kind of rude. And he's like, what happened? Did you rob somebody and you get shot? I'm like, damn, that's the first thing you said to somebody? Not, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and never does that come out of his mouth as he's got a dude there bleeding out all over to the ground is, are you okay? Because the image that we get is that all of these people are the problem. And that was kind of redundant um, mm-hmm. from even the black exploitation movies of the 70s to to the second wave in the 90s and then all of the news reports in the 80s. It was that from New York to, to, to L.A., it was it's the same thing. And there's a good amount of news reports on the Internet, I was surprised, in a lot of major metropolitan areas where... That's, where, when, that's yeah. when the idea of the super predator came up, right? These kids yeah. that are supposedly super predators, they're, they're sociopaths, they'll, they'll, they'll kill you just as soon as look at you. That Very Moynihan-esque, right? Mm-hmm. The super predator ideal, in my opinion, is straight out of Moynihan's uh, Negro report, where it's like you have these fatherless children that are growing up in an environment in single parent households, which is true. But some of that has to do with the way that social services are structured. Right. So was that part of the Moynihan report as well, that worrying about the 
impact of social services on the black family? That was a little bit. I actually was reading that too when I was <laughs> when I was putting this together. That's a, that was a hard read, man. It's it's hard to to go back. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. meant to go pick up Teray Reads towards freedom because I was like Teray at least has <laughs> has taken out the excerpt so I don't have to get through right, right, the, right. The, the thickness of his black underclass ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the underclass ideology is almost fed back in the in the culture in the music with uh, you know NWA and shit like that. So mm-hmm. um, I, I won't say who, but uh, they said when they first saw NWA, they were like they felt like D.W. Griffith. Oh, <laughs> like this is a creation straight out of D.W. Griffith. I can't believe it. Right, right, right. So um, anyway, so there was this idea that the, the the black community now were to be treated like animals that they were mm-hmm. they they just they they didn't there was a loss of the basic rights and citizenship should mm-hmm. should grant to people and that at least in some of the policies of the the cops but the question i asked was also like why did they go from being lenient to being repressive like what happened now, to bring the the wrath now, here's the, the thing. Cops. I don't know if it's necessarily being lenient mm-hmm. to being negligent. Negligent. Negligent is different than lenient. And I think they yeah. might have been a little negligent in more serious cases and harder in less serious cases. So when you have the situation that happens in like 87, 88, where a woman named Karen Tashima was killed in a, a posh neighborhood called Westwood, which is by UCLA. It was a very popular area where a lot of people just hung out. Also, gangs started to hang out. And two rival gangs got into a bit of a scuffle. And they ended up shooting into a crowd. And a bullet hit her in the head and killed her. And that became a massively large news story. Mm. And that was, I wouldn't say the proof, but that was cause for Daryl Gates, who was a police chief at the time, who was constantly trying to to position himself to be governor that was like his main goal so a lot of the things he did were for show and in doing a lot of this show policing if you will he had an operation called operation hammer so after karen tashima's killed you know all these store owners in westwood that had been complaining for some time about being overrun with with youth gangs mm-hmm. um you get a thousand cops <laughs> in mm. in one small area of South Central, and they're popping kids for curfew violations that the kids didn't even know there was a curfew. When you say popping, you mean shooting them, or do you mean arresting? Arresting, sorry, sorry. arresting yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Arre- arresting kids for for uh, curfew violations. Everyone's a gang member, um, and this is showing that heavy hand of law enforcement. Now, the law enforcement in L.A. got heavy-handed in 84 and right before during the Olympics mm. because they want to clean up the the inner part of the city, right? We always see this during Olympics, that you got to, you know, <laughs> let's cut no, it doesn't really doesn't really matter where they are either. This happens. Like the, the, as they, they prepare for the Olympics, there's usually some sort of heavy-handed. Bra- Bra- Brazil saw the same thing mm-hmm. uh, in Sao Paulo. Um, so the police had weaponry and they had kind of permission from not just, uh, 
the public at large, but like even from black leaders. And as citizens are saying, hey, I think these cops are a little heavy handed with the way they're treating us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even the black leaders are saying, well, I'd rather have a heavy handed law enforcement official than have drug dealers run the community, wouldn't you? So that becomes the problem that you see in in this community, which is we have drug crime and it's real and it's violent and it's frightening. My kids are scared to go to school. They can't wear certain things. That was a real thing down there. Because of, of the gang affiliation? Because of the gang affiliation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting shot walking home from school. I had a friend get mm-hmm. shot coming back from school. So, you know, this is a real problem. What that school? We like, what, what age was this, was this kid? We were, I was a senior, so he was a junior. So high school. Uh, my I lived with my father, um, and my father took on my stepmother's uh, nep- nieces and nephews for a while, and one of them is a year younger than me, almost to the day, and we're we're kind of got raised like brothers, mm-hmm. and so it's more his friend than my friend. But if he if he had a sleepover, I'm, we're all having a sleepover, right? Right, right, right. So uh, he had a good friend, Chris, that was like one of the nicest people, and you're gonna make me cry. Uh, just kind of yeah. nice for no no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know we were taught to not not take no shit. And uh, coming home from school, uh, someone was kind of being fucked up to him, and he made a comment back to the dude, and the dude shot him in the back of the head. Jesus. So that, that, that's well, yeah, the I mean, I mean, look, you're, you're, the you're, that people you're, are, li- are living. In. You're getting emotional about it, but I mean, the thing is, it was even more intense at the time. People mm-hmm. were losing their kids to the drug violence and to the gang violence, and mm-hmm. um, so you know, that's the you know the your tears sort of underline the point that it was real. Um, but the response to it was wasn't helping. It didn't do it. It didn't solve the problem. No, it didn't. It, it, um, I mean, there's, there's certain city officials that definitely got harder on like slumlords because part of the problem is you have people that are neglecting properties that were being used for uh, drug distribution. So then mm. you start to see changes in uh, social services that say things like, oh, if there's any sort of drug selling going on, you're going to lose your, your housing. Um, so when you see some of these police raids, like there was a very famous raid in 87, I believe, where they destroyed an apartment building, destroyed, I'm talking, ripped the stairs off the wall, took fixtures off the wall, took the kids clothes in the house, poured bleach on them, poured all the kids cereal out. Um, all they ended up finding was some, I think, rock cocaine on two non-resident visitors of one of the places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you, you know, we don't necessarily talk about things like that when it comes to what the police were doing. And we, we have to understand it's a it's a very complex <laughs> problem of... Of you know you have this highly 
um, financially beneficial industry in the inner city, and that's crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. And you're giving a lot of power. You, you, no matter what you see, you're going to see a lot of guys say this, and I agree with this. You're giving a lot of power to young people. Mm. You know, now all of a sudden, I just made, I used to see it in going to school. Mm -hmm. I made this in one night, big effing wad of cash. I'm like, one night? I said, man, fiends don't sleep. So you got kids making tens of thousands of dollars a week. Mm. Of course, now you need a gun. Because mm. there's a, I'm going to rob you now because this is all an underground economy. Who are you going to tell? You can tell the police that you got robbed? Officer, this guy stole all my crack? <laughs> yeah. Or, my, or, the, or the money I made from the crack? Yeah. You, so, so, you know, it, it's, it ups the, the violent quotient in your neighborhood. Oh, yeah. You get, you get a kid going to school, flashing 10 grand around. Um, and, yeah, that's going to cause some trouble. You might get fucked up. And so... Mm -hmm. You have that problem, but you also have the police kind of picking on whoever they can pick on. Right. Soft targets. I always talk about this on the show. Cops know who to fuck with. And we have to remember this. Cops know who to fuck with. Prisons are filled with some bad, in the great words of Joe Biden, some bad dudes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there really is murderers behind bars. Police officers have taken them in very calmly. They fuck up people like George Floyd. Mm. George Floyd was a dope fiend for the most part, trying to pass a 20. Of course you're going to get fucked up. If I get pulled over by the cops, I ain't got no real fucking warrants. I get fucked up. I'm going to get fucked with first. Fuck with me till I get to the point where it's like, oh, tune you up real quick. Like Rodney King got tuned up. Mm. That was a common occurrence for a lot of people to see, regardless of, of, uh, of race. It wasn't necessarily just uh, a black man. Latino men were getting it. Poor white dudes were getting it. If you lived in this area, you might get lumped up if you're not a, a real deal threat to their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that gives uh, people even more incentive uh, on top of the incentive to protect their cash and their crack to uh to to pump up you know to to get get tough to be a killer because it will protect you from the cops as well to right there there's a certain mentality <laughs> i don't say this with any sort of pride maybe that mm -hmm. you have i mean uh yeah it it was it was scary back then. You know, there were certain places you didn't go at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, so yeah, so this is all the background to '92 and the riots. A lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. But but again, when you hear the discourse uh, to it, and what really made me want to like write something about it, like really trying to break down what was going on, it simply revolves around an ideal of racialized capitalism and white supremacy like that's it and i think that misses the point because for a city like los angeles they have a black mayor there's a heterogeneous city council mm -hmm. um that 
look and historically black cities in LA have had black representation post uh, the uh, LBJ administration. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame it all on white supremacy. You can't you blame white it all supremacy, on white Unless you say white supremacy is something in people's heads and not in, uh, in the, on the, in, but consisting yeah. of the color. And, and, and that's how you get to me. That's how you get the blow up of ideas like Afro pessimism, because as I'm watching these debates, during the during the 80s and 90s it's always about racism that's it but again these cops aren't all white right some of these cops are even coming from the areas that they're policing right so is it simply white supremacy if you look at a a book like locking up our own by james foreman jr who actually really gets into the details about this there was a time where Black Americans were lobbying for black cops because we felt if there were black officers, they would know the good from the bad black people and they wouldn't just bust everybody's heads. And that's just not the case because it's the functionality of law enforcement. Yeah. The other thing is like, it can't just be about race alone. I mean, obviously it's about race, but because if you, you can see the same kind of, Thing emerge in the like in the UK in the middle of the, of the 20th century, where the rhetoric uh, amongst policymakers and the cops was like, "What is wrong with working class people? Are they genetically different?" Scotland, Are, <laughs> yeah. Scotland. Look, I, I went to I went on tour, and I've never. I've, well, one time I had a couple times I've had some decent tours, but when we toured the UK in 2013. We got stuck in Glasgow for uh, for almost two weeks, and we were with a band that we were on the same label with, and they were kind of from the hood in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm from the Bay. I've been around the country, but the United States views everything through an extremely racialized lens. Mm-hmm. It's not like that in the UK. There's definitely racial issues in the UK, but not like to the extent that it is in the US. Because there's definitely groups of white people that everybody hates. <laughs> when I was in Glasgow, motherfuckers really did not appreciate Scottish people. Mm-hmm. And there definitely was a bit of a heroin problem. There was a violence problem. Like, my boy's like, okay, don't go down that street. You know, don't even look that way. Uh, somebody found a head on their doorstep the other day. Jesus this is the right. number one place in Western Europe for knife crime. I'm like, knife crime? I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, we ain't got guns out here like that. You, you d- slices, motherfuckers. And you really see, it, you kind of wish some of these people that love yelling out, would, would go somewhere else and see it function, especially as someone that saw it function in real life in the hood, in, a, in an American in a predominantly, not predominantly, you know, in a black city. Mm-hmm. So going to Glasgow, it was just a whole different, it was a whole different scene for me. And, uh, but it was the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, the, so that points out that like, you know, it it isn't just a racial thing and, and it has something to do with, the role that people are playing within the global economy or the local mm-hmm. economy and, and, and the failures of that economy. 
Yeah, because um, factories got shut down out there as well. And what's going to replace um, that economy is going to be an underground economy. Is always going to replace it. Mm-hmm. And the underground economy is is violent and it's ugly and it's scary and there's just like when cool when a country when a, a when a nation collapses the government is you know no longer viable warlords <laughs> warlords, <laughs> warlords come up yeah. it come it gets run by mafia basically um, and that's what happens to the economies that that break up when when you don't when you can't provide through the regular economy. The black market will come in, and the underground economy will come in, and and it's going to operate different rules and more violently. <laughs> yeah, and that never becomes the conversation. Sometimes it might you might get some economic talking points, but they're just not sexy. Why is that? Do you think what is it? What makes them not sexy? I'm really mad you didn't watch that video I say, Doug. Because no, I'm sorry. I tried, to, I tried to. I tried to make it very Doug friendly. <laughs> yeah. uh, I put in a conversation that Milton Friedman had in like 1980 about inflation. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because whenever you watch these these things, it, they'll start it maybe with Watts, and then um, they'll you know you'll see like a black person get beat, and there'll be a white officer over him. Then they'll show the Rodney King video. And then maybe you see Latasha Harlins, which her 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 story is becoming more and more popular. And um, then you'll see riot footage, and like that's it, that's all it was. And hearing Milton Friedman talk about inflation is mm-hmm. boring as hell. And when you think about economic discussions before people like Richard Wolff and Michael Hudson started getting more notoriety mm-hmm. were soft-spoken discussions between old white men in suits that used terminology that no one could understand. And that it was always on PBS <laughs> or early in the morning. Um, no, C-SPAN even worse than PBS. C-SPAN is such a bad channel that I have literally watched interviews with, I can't think of the main guy's name that's the host for the book review show, where he mm-hmm. didn't even read the book, and he start, He was just looking at the book. Barbara Ehrenreich, watch that interview he does with Barbara Ehrenreich, and he looks at her book, he goes, so uh, what's with the cover? <laughs> and he goes and he, and he and he goes like this i'm not even trying to be funny this is actually the interview he looks up he goes so in your acknowledgments you acknowledged and i'm like it, you didn't read the book <laughs> so i mean who the hell is watching c-span like really mm-hmm. who's watching this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so whenever you see the discourse it's a white person that's outraged and then a black person that's equally as outraged. And then the, the talking head, the pundit between them stoking it. And then that just becomes a conversation. Now we're just talking about Rodney King and law enforcement. How many times have we seen a cop camera video and the conversation goes from the savagery of law enforcement to, well, I didn't see the entire video. So what did he do? 
what happened? You know, a, 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 a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago now, there was a guy, there was a, I forget the guy, the journalist's name, but um, there was a, a journalist who uh, released a video, I think it was on Vox, of a, a black kid talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. And he said, you're never out here protesting when there's crime, when like my brother died from gang violence. They're never out here protesting that. The black on black violence sits out there. And everybody just was up in arms that this journalist had released that videotape and had put that forward and it was completely inappropriate and he was canceled. And yeah, the black on black crime is a trope, right? But it also is the part that you, if you take a economic lens or a Marxist lens or mm-hmm. that you can start to really see the underlying causes of the whole thing. It's not just the police force. Like the police force are, that's a symptom. The fact that the police need to exist is a symptom. Yes. Of Right. Yes. And, 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 and yes, go ahead. No, so, so like, so, uh, it's it seems to me that especially over the last uh, you know six seven years as the social democratic materialist left has tried to emerge or tried to emerge that 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 we should have been able to cope with the kinds of conversations that we've been having today and that that journalist was trying to put forward then but it seems like it's back to being really hard again and never really got that easy to to talk about william parker in the 50s was using mm-hmm. the term black on black crime as the mm-hmm. police chief in LA and saying, well, the problem isn't cops. The mm-hmm. problem is blacks killing blacks. And when we start putting labels on crime, like there's mm-hmm. degrees to it, crime mm-hmm. is crime. Right. I don't believe in a hate crime. I'm not robbing you because I dig you. I've never seen a robbery, but hey, man, I'm finna rob the shit out of you real quick. But after this is over, I'll take you out for coffee. I got you. <laughs> this is not a hate crime. This is all love, baby. It's just, just got to happen. That's, yeah. that, that's not how crime works. Um, yeah. It was a crime of passion. It was a crime. It was mm-hmm. a crime. And right. to try to spin it was kind of maybe one of the, the better the better uh, rhetorical assaults of the right because constantly people keep trying to defend it and say, no, 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 no. It's not necessarily black on black crime. It's this and this and this. Like by the, you're defending that they're on to the next thing while you're mm-hmm. still sitting there defending that instead of saying, well, it's just crime. My friend Levite who works in Skid Row and in, in LA uh, talks about, the, the way in which the homelessness is dealt with. And some people who are in the, in the community of uh, progressives trying to help the people in Skid Row will like insist on referring to Skid Row as a community and, <laughs> and, and almost as if being homeless is a lifestyle. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and like, you know, Say things like, well, our neighbors on Skid Row. And it's like, what, are they going to come over and ask to borrow some flour? Um, And Tucker Carlson and the right will come along and they'll see that and they'll just completely exploit that. And they'll say, you know, hey, no, this is like completely unacceptable. These what these people are doing and how they're living is uh, intolerable for people who live around them and for them. And, uh, you know, 
And which one of those two people sounds like they're, you know, liars? It's the people on the on the left who sound like liars. Oh, look, there's people with good intentions on the left that are divorced from the true reality of what it looks like to live on Skid Row because you walk by it, you drive by it. Maybe you spend some time in a soup kitchen. Maybe you gave somebody a sandwich. That ain't like living there. Right. As the homeless encampment was blowing up on Wood Street, and there's a there's a brand new article in the SF Chronicle or SF Gate, and I actually shared it because it was literally a picture of across the street from where I lived. And I put it on Instagram. I was like, this is my old place. Mm-hmm. And if you know me personally on Instagram, I have tons of pictures of, of living there on Wood Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was upset about the fact that people were shitting in buckets. Mm-hmm. I wasn't upset about the fact that they were shitting in buckets. I was upset about the fact that, like, just shitting in buckets, that if you're shitting in a bucket, that's inhumane. That's Mm. inhumane that you're shitting in a bucket in a rat-infested area now because there's nowhere for you to dump your trash. Mm -hmm. This is how you get the plague. Right. People are getting all kind of crazy illnesses because they got to shit in buckets. And it's not just 10, 12, it's hundreds of people that have no access to a freaking toilet because of where we live. So I used to get upset about that. But if you hear me and you're not understanding that I'm upset about the inhumanity that, that cats are subject to, then maybe you think, I just think they're gross and they need to be put away behind a wall somewhere where we don't have to see him anymore. Right. And I think right. we have to be a little more nuanced in our, in our arguments and even in the solution ideas that we have, you know, eventually the, I used to say that enough to the, the guy that owned the warehouse in which I lived in when they were having, they would have actually meetings with the city council all the time. Eventually they convinced him to get a, a porta potty. Mm-hmm. That they that they changed, they were pretty good about changing, but um, it was a it was a it was another factor that was kind of making everything worse for them, which was people from the hills, the nicer area, would come down to Wood Street to dump trash. I don't want to go pay for the uh, the dump. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. I'll just dump it here next to these homeless people, and if they say anything to me, I'll give them a couple bucks to shut up. Mm. So, I mean, you needed some policing to stop that shit. And the cops didn't care. They put a sign up that said, if you see anybody dumping, um, call this number. But who's going to call that number when the people that are the people that are seeing the dumping? Not not the not the people shitting in buckets. No, they're not going to call that number. Even for the bullshit reward. It's like, oh, we'll give you 50 bucks if you if you write on somebody. Well, the guy just gave me, you know, 25 cash. Yeah. Listen, we're at the hour mark. So here's Sorry what I want to do. No, no, no. It's no, you we're I'm glad we're at the hour mark. <laughs> and I don't want you to go anywhere, but I want to like we'll keep going for people on Twitch. And by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a Twitch. Look for Sublation Media on Twitch because you'll be able to watch some of the stuff that's only for patrons as a live stream some of the time if you go to Twitch. Not all the time, it's inconsistent, but we're gonna keep going. This is the mark where we're going to go into the patron-only content.